For a number of weeks now, we have been going over what we have called vintage Christianity. And this started at Easter when we were preparing as a congregation for an outreach, hoping that those in this community would come and worship with us. And in preparing for that, we had to be ready to equip those that would be in our midst. God's will is always done, whether we see his hand in it or not. But for those of us that have been going over these messages and understanding who God is, the Trinity of God, sin, redemption, last week the church, we're understanding that those that are hearing these words are being, again, enlightened and equipped to do God's word to do God's work through his word. And we continue this week by looking at missions. It says the doctrine of mission. And when I first saw that and was going to be giving the message this week, I was actually, in a, in, to a certain degree, puzzled by the word mission. Did it mean that's what we're expected to do? That's what we're setting out to accomplish? Or was it talking about missions where we think of going out and spreading God's word? And the answer is yes. They're one and the same. And that's how, why I have said the mission is the mission statement. Mission statements came around not that long ago where companies and entities would get together and a think tank would, would uh, pool their minds and resources and say, what are we trying to accomplish? Let's have a mission statement. And I think that in, by and large that has been a good thing. But we didn't put together a think tank to come up with an idea about, about missions. We're going to go to God's word. God is the author, and God instructs us. So now that we have that decided, now we pick out where we should go in God's word. And one of the first things that would come to my mind if you're going to talk about missions, you would think about Jesus' words himself. Go and teach all nations and baptize. That sounds like what we're supposed to do, isn't it? We're supposed to go. We're supposed to teach. And I would think that good Baptists would want to be baptizing people. But in the sense of coming right down to the basics of missions, we're going to be looking at a different scripture that truly brings us down to the true essence of missions, our mission. So I would ask that you would turn to 1 Peter chapter 2. And we're going to be reading starting at verse 1 through verse 12, but specifically uh, God's message is from 4 through the end of the chapter, or I'm, I'm sorry, through verse 12, but uh, I'm just going to start at the beginning of the chapter. So if you can follow along with me in your copy of God's Word. So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk 
that by you that by it you may grow up to salvation if indeed you have tested the Lord is good tasted I'm sorry as you come to him a living stone rejected by men but in the sight of God chosen and precious you yourselves like living stones are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellence of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of our visitation. Of visitation. I would like us to first look at what I say is the first thought. Jesus Christ is the subject of the mission. Jesus Christ is the subject of the mission. What, what we must know and understand is that Old Testament Yahweh, what is true of him is also true of Jesus Christ. Peter is using Old Testament scripture, referred to many times and in different places and brought forward to today. And it starts by letting us know that Yahweh, the God of the Old Testament, creator God, chose to reveal himself to his people, Israel, the Jews. And in that, he made a covenant with them and set them apart and said, I will be your God and you will be my people and you will obey me. They saw him, not in the physical sense, but they saw him in that pillar of cloud that went with them by day as they left Egypt. They saw him at night as a pillar of fire also. Later, Moses said that he was part of the tabernacle and in the tabernacle. And he dwelt there and he was among them. Then we see that Solomon, before that actually his father said, I am going to build you a temple that you can dwell among us. And God said, that's not my will for you to do that. Your son will do that. Solomon built a great temple. And it says that the holiness, the holiness of God dwelt in the temple. 
When I was looking at this lesson, a number of times the word holy is used in the scripture. And I hope that each of you that is studying and being part of a community group is getting a better grasp and a reverence for that word holy. When it refers to God and his completeness and that he is holy, it gives us new meaning when we're referred to or see the word holy, even in the holy temple. But his people rebelled, and the rebellion came in the form of idolatry. Idolatry so terrible that God said, I am going to remove myself from the temple and from your midst, and it was gone. Actually, this happened in the time of Ezekiel. And for 400 years, even after the time of rebuilding, God never entered that temple again. His glory was not there. Malachi would prophesy, the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. That's what we see in the starting of the scripture. And it says, Peter referred to it, it is if you come to him, a living stone. All of this has been bringing us to the point of what we are thinking of as the temple, the dwelling place of God, as stone, as, as something that is an object. But God had a more excellent plan than that. He came to his people in the form of man, incarnate as an infant, Jesus of Nazareth. And when he came and was among us, like the word says, Simeon and Anna were in the temple. Jesus' parents brought him to the temple. And Simeon had exceeding joy and said, I can now go to heaven and depart this world because I have seen the glory of God in the temple again in the form of this baby. God dwelled among us as that living stone. But the scripture also says it goes past that. That stone was also the cornerstone. Everything of Christianity rests on the work and the life of Jesus Christ. He was the fulfillment of all that there was and needed to be done to bring us to righteousness before a holy God. Jesus was that cornerstone and on it was built the, the, the church that the devil and evil could not hold or take asunder. The living stone is also evident that even though Jesus died, he rose again and continues to live and reign forever. But he was rejected. He was rejected among his own people as he is rejected today. Israel rejected God and sought after idols and Jesus was also rejected by those at that time were in authority and they were, he was put to death by them. But that isn't a plan that has gone wrong. That was exactly 
how God intended it to be. He is the cornerstone, and on, on it, everything is built. And there would be those that would stumble and find offense at who he was. Even his own people, even the Gentiles of that day, did not understand who Jesus the Christ was. But he was the cornerstone. He was the one that truly was the subject of the mission. We also want to see Christians, the church, proclaim the excellence of Jesus Christ. We have seen now who, if we're on missions, is to be the subject and topic that not only do we know something about, not only knowing him, him and the things of what he has done, but we must know him in our hearts. And when we do that, we are called as Christians to his service. Pastor Joe last week was talking about the church. And again, we're going to be talking about Christians, and they are the church. What we saw last week was that Paul was talking about groups, two groups being brought together as individuals and becoming the church, the larger gathering of God's people. This week, Peter now is talking about that also, but he is still talking in Old Testament language and using words and, and uh, analogies that we see in this text. And he calls us the living stones of the temple. If we are those that are seeking after Jesus Christ, the perfect living stone, then he has been equipping us to be his stones that now have brought the church together. How has he done that? By his word, he says that he came and fulfilled the law. Everything that was written about in the Old Testament was about him and his work to redeem us. That has happened. We are called to him as his disciples. We think of Jesus then being the cornerstone of everything that has happened to form the church. But if then, if he has been removed from us, how can the church still be here? We are the church. We are the church through the power of the Holy Spirit. Because remember what Jesus said before he left his disciples. He said, I will send one that will be a counselor to you, that will equip you, the Holy Spirit, and he will be in your midst. He will be part of you. We are the church that the world sees today. We always must remember that God is the one that is doing the work of building the church, not us. One thing about our society today, especially about, I believe, Americans, and I'm not going to say this is a good or bad thing, but we tend to think 
of self as being number one. We each have individual rights, and nobody is supposed to take that away from us. Pretty much, a lot of times, it can be about us. But that's not what the church is to, supposed to be. In all the times that Paul, Peter is referring to the, the temple, to the stones, to a holy nation, it is as a group. Who better than Peter to distort that and think that it should be an individual, an individual doing God's work because Peter was the one that Jesus changed his name and said, you will no longer be known as Simon, but you will be Peter. Peter meaning the rock, the stone. And he said, on you, I will build the church. Not he alone, not just his work. He wouldn't be that cornerstone. He understood, Peter did, that he would be one of God's instruments to build the church. It goes on to say that we should be a royal priesthood. And there again, we have to understand and remember what the function of priests were originally as God intended them. And they were set apart. They were of uh, one tribe of the Levites. And they were the ones specifically given the responsibility to coming before the Lord and to worship and praise and give sacrifice to him. Part of Jesus' work when he came in that more perfect way was he was the true high priest, the one and only. He has equipped us after he left to be individual priests. We as individuals are standing as God's representatives, all in that form. Not only are we part of the temple, but we are each individual priests. Given access to God, we don't need to go to anyone else or to have somebody intercede for us. Jesus Christ did that and continues to do that. But we are the ones now that are equipped to give those what our scripture calls spiritual sacrifices. And what are they? What is a spiritual sacrifice? Thomas Schreider writes, we should not limit the sacrifices here to any one item. For anything that is pleasing to God is probably included. Peter spoke generally and comprehensively of all that believers do by the power of the Holy Spirit. Indeed, not any and every sacrifice is pleasing to God, but only those offered through Jesus Christ. Those are our spiritual sacrifices. If we look at who, are, who is to be doing the work, which is us, Peter makes some pretty bold statements about who we are. We're a holy nation. There again, remember what we have been learning and understanding about being holy. We are a people of his own possession. One thing we have to remember about possessions, folks, somebody has to pay for them. Jesus paid the price that we can be 
God's possessions. Called out of darkness to the marvelous light, that is who we are, being relieved and removed from the darkness that so much of the world is still in today, not understanding who Jesus Christ truly is. And we are those that truly receive mercy. So we have seen that Jesus Christ is the subject of missions, of that mission statement. We have seen that we are the ones that have been equipped and called to be doing God's work by proclaiming who he is in this world. And now we have to see what Peter says we must do to be proclaiming, evangelizing the sinful world. In verses 11 and 12, I believe it says, unbelievers will be saved and God glorified by the lives of Christians. Our spreading God's word to a lost world with the hope of changing lives will be, com- uh, will be compromised if they do not see us as having changed lives. How changed? What should there be there that, that truly separates us from those that do not know who Jesus Christ is? radically changed. For some of us, that will look different than others. The scripture uses two words, sojourners and exiles. I thought to myself, I don't know anything about being an exile. Well, we really do if we understand that if we're in this world as God's chosen, if that Holy Spirit lives inside of us, we're exiles in a sinful world. Sojourners are those that travel among others. Sometimes they're easy to spot. I remember probably uh, the one place in this world that I've ever been where I saw such a cross-section of humanity was at Disney World. You see every type of individual, every type of dress, I think there must be every continent, continent of this world represented on any given day. But that's not enough to see the difference, to look around and see that we are not the same. Maybe it's our eye shape. Maybe it's the color of our skin. Maybe it's just our appearance. We have to be different. In other translations, I saw the word Aliens. I like that word. I like that word when we compare it to what we know as Hollywood aliens. How the movie industry shows us aliens. And Al, I'm going to go back to black and white time in movie Hollywood's rendition. Before computers and before all of those times that they could generate something that looked so vastly different than us. Their alien was putting a box on a guy and putting some aluminum foil around him and maybe a funny hat, and then they stood out from everybody else. Folks, 
that radical difference is what our lives should look like in this world. That is what is going to reach those who do not know who Jesus Christ is. But there's a warning there. Because we are that different, and God is, dwells in us, we're home free and clear. The world has no pull on us anymore. Absolutely not. It says the passions of the flesh do not go away. In fact, I believe that the devil will work extra hard at those areas of our flesh that we can prone to be able to fall at. It doesn't just mean that it's going to be those sins that we so easily can categorize, but it's going to be where we are vulnerable. Peter says we must be willing to go at this force that's working against us. Make no mistake, this is the power of the devil as if we were waging war at him, day in, day out. It isn't like we're walking through a house at night, even though it's our own house and we're comfortable with it, but we haven't turned the light on and we put our hand out in front just, just to make sure or in case we touch something. No, we're putting on the full armor, armor of God every day to wage war against those forces that are against us. This message is not about our conduct. If you want to find out what our conduct should be, Peter goes on, starting in verse 13, and goes through chapter 4. And look at some of the headings my Bible has that he's going to explore and says this is where your conduct should be different. This is where the world should, should see what you're like. Submission to authority. Husbands and wives. Suffering for righteous' sake, stewards of God's grace, suffering as a Christian. God is telling us that we must be radically different from the world. And when that does happen, that is what is allowing us to change hearts. And when hearts are changed, when people come to know who Jesus Christ is, God is glorified. But there's also something there in the text that might be confusing to us. If we're waging war and we're doing what's right, how can we be looked at as what Peter says as being evildoers? Well, I remember when I was in the army and I received orders to go to Southeast Asia. And they gave us a cram course in uh, overseas replacement and in a very small way told us about the culture that we were going to, how they were so much different from us. And one thing that they always told us not to do among the Oriental people was you never touch them on the top of their head. I don't know if you've ever heard that or not, but what you're trying to do to them is you're trying to steal their spirit. You're trying to remove from them their inner being. Well, we would say that sounds like suspicion. 
why would we ever go that far and not do it? Peter, or Paul, addressed that and said, if I offend those around me by what I eat, I'm not going to do that because I don't want to turn them against being willing to see what God can do in somebody's life. What I have freedom in, I will not use as freedom to offend somebody else. That's what it's saying about evildoers. Again, I'm quoting uh, from Schreiner, Thomas Schreiner. Unbelievers viewed Christians with suspicion and hostility because the latter did not conform to their way of life. Since believers did not honor the typical gods of the community, they were naturally viewed as subversive and evil in that social context. But Peter tells us how to go around that. It says, they may see your good deeds and glorify God. Again, quoting Shriver, Shriner, he says, believers should pursue, pursue virtue and goodness so that their goodness would be apparent to all in society. I know that we've all heard the saying, walk the walk and talk the talk. But that's exactly what God is saying to us in his word. That if we are going to evangelize a world that is dying because it does not know who Jesus Christ is, if there have not been changes in their lives, they must see that change in us. Missions doesn't mean that we go halfway around the world. Missions doesn't mean that we devote our whole life to that as also the way that we make our livelihood. It means that as individuals, changed by the grace of God, that that happens and we are doing mission work every day, 24 hours a day, 365 days a week. And it always comes down to the same thing. It's for God's glory and his honor. I saw this statement made by Wayne Gruden, and I thought it was exactly what our lives should look like and understand. Christians living in an unbelieving society must avoid sinful desires and continually maintain exemplary patterns of life so that unbelievers will be saved and God glorified. There is no reason to doubt that such a strategy for evangelism would still work today. It's a tried and true strategy. It is our lives that allow us the opportunity to evangelize to those that do not know God as Lord and Savior. Whether it's in this city, whether it's where we work, or whether God has called us to leave this place and travel many miles. So what we have seen is the mission, as the mission statement, is first of all, God is the subject of it. God in the form of, of a true, holy, and righteous Yahweh that has revealed himself in a perfect way 
as Jesus Christ, who took on redemption by his death on the cross to give us that life. It is also the mission statement that says, we are those that are to proclaim the word. We are those that are given the responsibility to tell others about who Jesus Christ is and to lead others to the knowledge of him as Lord and Savior, always by the always to the glory and honor of God Almighty. And the mission statement also says, many books have been read. There can be so many things that can be done as far as strategizing and looking at missions. It comes down to one thing. If our life is not led and completely surrendered to the Lord God himself, we will fail because we cannot keep the law. We cannot act like Christians. We can only live like Christians through the power of the Holy Spirit. Let's pray.